Has that ever crossed your mind? I'm completely unemployable. Like, I can't even fathom the idea of working for someone else. It just wouldn't work for me. Absolutely not. No. Have you ever wondered how successful businesses and thought leaders keep landing those big media opportunities and keep the buzz going around what they're up to? It's not just by chance. They're all using the power of storytelling. I'm Nicola J. Rowley, and with over 25 years in the media as both a journalist and PR expert, I'm here to help you unlock the story potential for both you and your brand. Everything starts with a story. This is the Power of Storytelling podcast. Hello, and welcome to this very special edition where I'm joined by someone who is incredible when it comes to business. She not only has one business, two businesses, three businesses, four businesses, she has five businesses and she juggles all of those at the same time. And she's just become a mum herself. The incredible Lauren Prentice. Hi, Lauren. Great to have you with us. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. No, you are more than welcome. I am in awe of the fact that you managed to juggle five businesses at the same time. And they're all really, really busy because they're really, really successful. Did you always start out knowing that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? You wanted to do things your own way? I mean, definitely wanting to do things my own way, but not necessarily being an entrepreneur. I actually trained as an actor for three years. I went to drama school, was really set on being an actor when I started. And within about six weeks, I was like, no, I can't be doing this. I don't want to be an actor. It was a method acting school. So it was very much being the character. We lived as a character for two weeks. We spent a term as an animal. I was a kangaroo. It was just mental. And I came out of it going, I do not want to be an actor. So I kind of accidentally fell into starting a business, to be honest, because I was like, well, I'll just start theatre school. That's easy. And that's what I did. Who thinks that? Who thinks, I know, I'll just do this. That'll be really easy. But I guess it's that thing, isn't it? When you come out and you're, I'm guessing at that point, you were early 20s. You've got that confidence in, well, I'll give it a go. And I I don't mind. I know I definitely don't want to be an actor. So I'll give it a go and see where it takes me. Yeah, exactly. So I was 21 and I didn't have any commitments. You know, I was going back to live at home with my mom. I didn't have any rent to pay. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have kids. You know, like all these things that, you know, it was the right time to take that risk. And what a brilliant risk it actually was. Tell the people listening, like, what actually happened from that moment on once you started that theatre school? Yeah, so I launched the theatre school as soon as I left drama school. I think I left in like the June and I ran my first like summer camp in the July. So really quickly. And then it just grew and grew and grew. So we were taking on our first staff within that first term. And it just sort of like bulldozed from there really, like just went and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I sold that business in 2016 as I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. It was really, really difficult to find reliable staff and that became really stressful and I never wanted to let people down. But unfortunately, if 
you're let down, you have to let other people down. And that wasn't something I really wanted to continue doing, that kind of having that reliance on other people. So yes, I sold it in 2016 and I've not, not really looked back since, to be honest. Where did you go from there? So off the back of that business, I had a couple of other businesses at that point. So I had a children's party company and that was really, really successful. We'd do sort of 15 to 20 parties a weekend. I always joke that Frozen bought my first house because I would literally go out and do so many Frozen parties that, it, you know, I, I was having like an identity crisis as to whether I was Elsa or Lauren, you know. But I also had another company as well, which I still run, which is selling theatre tickets. So we sell theatre tickets to people who want to go to the theatre more often, really. So we buy group tickets. And we sell them on to people who love the theatre, who don't usually get to go as often, to make the theatre more accessible, really, to make sure that people could see those shows um, that they want to see and take away the sort of financial barrier in doing so. Why is that so important to you? Because I know that it's a massive passion of yours that theatre is accessible. Yeah, I think... It all spurred from when I had the theatre theatre school and we'd have lots of parents who would say, you know, I really want to take the children to see Matilda, but, you know, it's just too expensive. We can't justify it. You know, I started doing it so that they could go and see shows, that they could get to experience live theatre. And it just kind of continued because it, it was really, really evident that there were so many people that were in the same boat that couldn't justify the cost. Or if they did, it was, you know, a once every two years kind of thing. And we've now got people who have bought tickets with us for nearly like seven or eight years. And they go to the theatre, you know, six, seven, eight times a year. And previously that was like once every other year, just because it's that much more accessible and they know that they can they can see the shows and they get great seats and things like that. But with it being a passion of mine, it's always been a passion. I think the theatre should be accessible for all. I think it shouldn't be something that people are only able to see if they've got lots of money it shouldn't be something where you have to go and dress up and to sit in the dark it should be something that you can you know walk in straight from work and go and see a show and all those kind of different things and it should be something that families can access as well so because children should be able to to see shows and they should be able to experience that because there's, there's nothing like it it's not you can't get that same experience through a screen and you've managed to supersize that and you now have a membership and I am a member and I absolutely love it. The fact that you can get these tickets is brilliant, but it's more the fact that you've gone so that you've enabled more people to be able to access it in an easy, easy as way as possible. That's really good. I always say that in business, the most important thing is to grow an audience and to have that audience. And that's been the most important thing with the with the theatre express business because you know that audience has always always been built on word of mouth we've never ever ever run any ads we've never done anything like that it's literally all built on word of mouth and we've got you know close to fifty thousand people across kind of our mailing list and our facebook group and things so it's one of those things that it, we've built that audience now and now it can run a little bit more passively, a little bit more of kind of like a less labour-intensive business and still impact more and more people every every year. Yeah, which is incredible. And as you're listening to this podcast today, 
you will probably get the sense that Lauren doesn't hold back in terms of going for opportunities, in terms of thinking outside of the box about what she's going to be able to do. And Lauren, if you're all right to talk about it as well, what I also want to discuss is the fact that you openly have ADHD. Has that been quite a difficult thing for you to cope with and to to talk about and actually come out there and, and speak to people about it as part of your story and your journey as well? Yeah, I don't think it's been something that's been difficult. I think ultimately, with having ADHD, I have always, until very, very recently, seen that as quite a positive, you know, like to be able to multitask, to be able to do lots of different things at once, to be able to work on different projects simultaneously. Be, it was only when I got pregnant and it got really, really unwell that actually I realized that actually some of the things that I was, that were making me really unwell were actually the ADHD side of things and not just general kind of pregnancy things that's the only time that I've really seen it as not a benefit whereas generally I see it as quite a, a I hate the phrase when people say oh you know ADHD is a superpower because it's really not like it's such a stupid phrase but it has definitely some of the elements have definitely helped me in business I would say and you you mentioned there about being pregnant the pregnancy itself, I know, was quite difficult for you. Mm. How hard was that for you as you were trying to do all the juggling? Because if you're not very well, it's really hard to carry on juggling all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it was really, really, really difficult because I was I was so unwell that they, at the start of my pregnancy, I was pretty much bed bound. And at the end of my pregnancy, I was near enough completely bed bound. And it was one of those things where for nine months, it was just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And it got to the point where my mum was taking me to the hospital one day and I was literally going to the hospital four times a week at that point. And she went, well, the only thing you've not got is preeclampsia. And I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> and I, actually, that is the, about the only thing I didn't get for the whole of the pregnancy. And it was, yeah, it was very, very difficult. And it was very difficult as well because I had the business to think about. And, you know, ultimately I was growing a baby, but the business was my original baby. Like the business had always been my original baby. That was like, you know, I put my, my, put my heart and soul into it over the years. And it wasn't something I could just kind of drop and just go, oh, I'm going, I'm going to go to my bed for nine months until I feel a bit better. And we just, there just wasn't that as an option. So you know, I had to get used to leaning on other people. I had to learn who I could lean on within my team. I had to, I had a situation when I was, um, I think 24 weeks pregnant. I just got to 24 weeks pregnant. I was just at that point where I was like, okay, we're past what they call the point of viability in a pregnancy, which is where basically they say, you know, your pregnancy is viable. If you gave birth now, they would try and save your, your baby. And for me, that was a big milestone because for, you know, up until that point, I was like, you know, we want to get to that point. We want to get to that point. We want to get to that stage. But I got to that stage and I found out that one of my team members had been going completely wild for my credit card. And so I had to go through the entire disciplinary process while at that point, heavily pregnant and very unwell. 
And that was probably one of the toughest things because I knew that the amount of stress that was putting on me and my body could have a knock-on effect on the baby. And I was like, this, this isn't how it should be. And thankfully, once that was done, obviously it was a big relief and it was all, it was all over. And obviously we had to go through, I had to go through all that stress, but it was, yeah, the juggle was really, really difficult at that time, more so than any other time leading up to it. So Lauren, for you, there's an awful lot of stress going on at this moment in time while you're running your businesses, you're obviously having to go through a disciplinary procedure and everything else. Did that have a knock-on effect as you were going through in terms of your own mental well-being as well? Yeah, 100%. I was like throughout my pregnancy, really, I was very, very, very unwell with my mental health. So I started off and I was very, very anxious. And then as time went on, I got increasingly more and more depressed. I ended up being referred to the NHS perinatal team, which were, I have to say, have been incredible. The NHS gets a lot of stick for the lack of support for mental health, but I honestly can hand on heart say that that wasn't the situation with me. I've had incredible support throughout pregnancy and beyond. and. But it did make me really, really unwell. And I was really, really, obviously, I was really depressed. I was really anxious. I was really unwell. But I was also really upset that that, that was the case. Because it, when you're pregnant, you're told, you're told you know, you're, you're going to glow and, you know, you're blossoming and all this. And I was like, I'm not glowing. I feel awful. I feel awful mentally. I feel awful physically. I got to the point where I was on crutches. I couldn't walk. Just going up the stairs was exhausting. You know, all these things just did not help my mental health, which was already affected by everything that's going on in your body, by the hormones, by the changes, by knowing that your life is going to change enormously. And I just kept saying to people, like, I just really hate pregnancy. I really don't like it. I was like, I don't understand why no one ever said. Why did nobody ever warn me that this is really not not nice? And I kept being like, it's such a lot of pressure to put on your body. And obviously, some people deal with pregnancy and they're fine. Some people do glow. But there were so many people when I'd go, you know, they go, how are you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? And I go, I feel awful. Like, I hate it. I really feel horrendous. And they go, oh, I hated pregnancy. I was like, why didn't you warn me? Nobody warned me. Nobody gave me a heads up at this. No one said, you know, that this is really tough. Nobody warned me. No, they never do. They never do. And, I, and I'm with you. I sympathize entirely because I found my pregnancy really difficult as well and I got I remember getting to a point where I was just sat there and at that time I was working in a corporate career and I'd sit at the desk and I just I just couldn't move in the way that I wanted to do I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do like you I struggled with going upstairs I sounded like an old wheezy man by the time I walked up three stairs and I was just like what is all of this but when you're going through additional mental health challenges as well, that's really, really tough. It didn't end there, though, unfortunately, did it? So no. when, when it actually came to 
your your water's breaking with the baby's about to come. Tell us what happened to you then. I'd spent my whole pregnancy terrified about going into labor. So I had a C-section scheduled for um, the 2nd of February. And I was like, this is great. Second of the second, that's a great birthday. You know, I was like, I was ready. I was prepared. I really, really, really had to negotiate with um, the medical teams as well because I ended up with gestational diabetes too towards the end. So, you know, I had to have the baby early. And I was pushing to have the baby earlier because I was saying like, I don't want to go into labor. Like, I do not want to go into labor. I want to have this baby. I want to have my scheduled C-section. I want to go in. I want it to be planned. I want it to be calm. I want it to be as anxiety-free as possible. And that was on the Thursday. I woke up at 6 a.m. on the Monday and I went to the toilet and I was bleeding really heavily. And I said to my boyfriend, I was like, you need to ring my maternity ward. I'm bleeding. And I looked down and I was like, you need to ring an ambulance. And we were really, really, really lucky in that an ambulance was with us within 10 minutes. So an ambulance got there within 10 minutes. They came and they took me straight off to the hospital. Blue lighted me to the hospital. I'd woken up at 6am and I'd had an emergency C-section by Tavim's born at 8.12. So it was a real proper emergency C-section. Not what I had in mind at all. The actual, ironically, the actual C-section part of it was very calm and very nice. But all of the preceding time up to that, it was, you know, very, very, very touch and go. We both could have died. Both Tabby and I were very, very, you know, it was very sketchy. One of the uh, the midwives said to me, we're doing everything we can to save you and your, you and your baby as they ran the bed down the corridor to the, to the operating theatre. So it was really, really sketchy. I didn't realise quite how bad it was until... A couple of days later, I'd had a major hemorrhage. He'd had to go to the NICU because he was born not breathing. I'd had a placental abruption, which basically means that the placenta has come away. So away from the uterus wall. Um, so although I hadn't gone into labor, it was probably the worst, you know, one of the worst things that could have happened. Um, and, you know, doesn't always have good, good outcomes. Well, I'm glad to say that it did have a good outcome. You're still very we much were very with us. lucky. And the lovely Tavi is also with you now as well. How's mm-hmm. he getting on? Yeah, he's fine. He's born at 8.12 and he came out of the NICU about midnight that night. So he he was, you know, in there and they took great care of him. He had antibiotics. He had, you know, lots of sort of preventative things. He had oxygen, he, he, all those kind of things to try and just get him back to normal he was once he came out of the NICU he was fine basically he was all right it was just unfortunately when he was born obviously the placental abruption while that was happening he wasn't getting any of the the stuff he needed I'd take my hat off because if they hadn't have acted so quickly if the um, ambulance hadn't got to us so quickly if the ambulance hadn't got us to hospital so quickly triage hadn't have been completely ready for us to go straight in as an emergency if the operating theatre hadn't have been you know clear if the doctor hadn't got out of bed quick enough you know all those different things the story would have been completely different how does it make you feel now 
in hindsight, even just talking about that, because it's a huge thing that you've actually been through, both of you together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, I'm fine to talk about it, but I'm not fine, if that makes sense. Like, I've not been in the bathroom where I had the hemorrhage. I've not been in lesson. And he's 11 weeks old. So, you know, three months of not going in a bathroom in your house that you see every day. Uh, it's physically as well. It left me very anemic. I had, my body had to make up all the blood that it had lost. I had to have a few infusions just to, to sort of top me up with what, what I'd lost, really. And also just that fear that, you know, if I were to want to have another baby and, you know, that's not something that's on my agenda right now. He's only 11 weeks old. But if I did, the likelihood of me having a placental abruption again is one in 10. So it's quite high. And it's just knowing that, you know, you if all those things hadn't aligned, the situation could have been so different. During all of this, of course, you've had nine months where you've been laid up, in effect, trying to do lots of things, I'm sure, running your businesses as effectively as possible. You also have another business which we haven't spoken about, which actually is one of the biggest of the businesses. It's called The Business Box. Tell us a little bit about The Business Box and how you manage to keep things running and ticking over while in effect you're going through this massive life change of not only bringing a baby into the world, but in a quite a traumatic way. Yeah. So the business box is a subscription box for female business owners. So we send out a box each month to our subscribers and it's got lots of different bits in there to help them with their business, help them stay organized, stationary, books, office supplies, all sorts of bits and pieces like that. So we send those out every month. So obviously every month we have different items that need to go in. They've all got to be ordered, paid for, et cetera, et cetera, all in advance, which usually is really easy, except for when you can't go out to trade shows and things like that. It becomes a lot more tricky. During that time, I I really had to lean on my team. But luckily, it's very much a recurring revenue stream. So lots and stuff is kind of, apart from having to physically find the products, a lot of it is just rinse and repeat. So, you know, we've got lots of automations in place that run without us needing to do anything. I've got somebody who packs the boxes. Everything else is just run through raw mail. So a lot of the tasks and things that need to be doing, even though it's, you know, it's a big business and we send out hundreds of boxes each month, a lot of those things need to be, are automated and don't need to be kind of done manually. And thankfully we had all that set up before I got pregnant because obviously you just don't know. We did, I thought, I thought I'd breeze pregnancy. I thought it'd be absolutely fine. And I wasn't. And you never can tell, can you? That's no, the thing. Something no. can just come in like a, you know, that curveball that just suddenly appears Mm-hmm. And then you somehow have to find a way around it. Well, thank heavens for you having the recurring revenue in place. And and also not holding back, having that kind of understanding to get that up and running in advance, because mm. I think that's that's been absolutely everything to you. In terms of your story now, Lauren, where are you going next? I mean... You know, I'm sure at some point there are going to be more businesses added to the mix. 
I'm sure that there are because you like to have that multitasking. But mm-hmm. if for, for now, are you just enjoying being a mum? What's what's on your agenda? So, I I think what kind of the last year really has taught me is that my time is best spent on some things, and it's not best spent on others. So, obviously, before I had Tabby, I put things in place to go like a bit more hands off with the businesses. So, you know, I'm not doing any of the admin things and I'm planning to continue that. I don't want to get back into doing the admin and all those kind of bits and pieces. It's not actually where my skills best lie, to be honest. So I want to spend more time on the business coaching. So coaching people to help them with their subscription boxes, to help them launch their subscription boxes. That side of things is really my priority now. And there are a couple of other projects that I'm going to work on either sort of this year or next. And there's two more subscription boxes that I want to launch. And because I know how to do it and I've done it before and I know all the automations and all the processes and things that can be put in place, actually that isn't a massive task to launch those boxes. I know that I've got the resources to be able to do it and the skills. So it should be, you know, famous last words, but relatively straightforward. With the subscription boxes as well, how you actually got into doing these, because I know that we haven't talked about that yet. It was actually through the pandemic, wasn't it? It kind of forced your hand a little bit to come up Mm -hmm. with another way of working. And I think this is really interesting as well in terms of your story, how you were able to look around, do some research and say, actually, that could be a really great way to be able to go forward and then position yourself as the go-to person in terms of subscription boxes. Tell me a little bit about that. Obviously, during the pandemic, we were really, really effective effective as a business because theatres were closed and theatres were the first thing to close and the last thing to reopen. So we effectively had best part of 18 months completely closed and there was no way that theatres could reopen with restrictions. There was at one point they were looking at leaving empty seats, and but it costs a lot of money to put a show on unless you're, you've got a full house, so you've got every, every seat sold near enough. You're not making money on that performance. So it just wasn't feasible. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was possible to do, unfortunately. So we actually spent, or I spent, because I had to furlough all my staff, I spent all of the pandemic giving money back. I wasn't even not making money. I was actively giving money back because all the shows had been cancelled. And although, when, you know, in the first instance when COVID happened, we thought, oh, it's okay because, you know, it'll be three weeks and then it was three months. And then, you know, it got to the point and we were like, could this be three years? You know, we've got no solid guarantee that we're ever going to get back to normal. So, you know, we had to move tickets time and time again some shows I moved those tickets four or five times and it got to the point where I was just so bored of saying sorry sorry for things that were completely out of my control you know I'm so sorry it's been cancelled again I'm really sorry we've got to move your tickets again I'm really sorry you've got to receive this email again for me to cancel this this show and that was really hard but also I knew that I needed to bring in an income but I knew that whatever income that was that I was bringing in 
it needed to be something that was going to be sustainable because eventually theatres would go back and that business would be back with a vengeance because you can't replace live live performance. You can't replace live theatre. So my choice basically was look at what industries are recurring revenue for a start. So I knew that that was important because of the time point of view. A and B, I needed to figure out what I could do to make sure that whatever it was I did was pandemic proof. Because if we were going to keep going back in and out, in and out, in and out of lockdown, I needed to know that what I was doing was sustainable. And so I did lots and lots of research. I looked into what was kind of up and coming markets and I landed on subscription boxes. The subscription boxes were really big in the US, but they hadn't really hit over here yet. They hadn't really got to the point of being as popular. They hadn't really got to the point of being, of kind of having that same impact. So that's what I did. I launched the business box and it was completely from scratch. I had to build a whole new audience. I had to learn how to make a subscription box business work. I had to learn all the sort of systems that need to be put in place. But the benefit was it was lockdown and I had a lot of time. We all had a lot of time. I wasn't going out. I wasn't doing anything. And that's what I did. I spent all of lockdown planning out, working out, growing an audience of how to launch a subscription box. So I launched two subscription boxes and the business box and one children's bake box, which went with another business, which I sold when I was pregnant. And in 12 months, we had a thousand subscribers. So we did really well, really quickly with the subscription boxes. And that kind of led me into the coaching because people were coming to me going, how do I start a subscription box? I want to start, I want to do this. This is really valuable. This is what I want to do. And I began teaching them how to do it as well. So it was, you know, the perfect storm really of, of kind of doing all the research, making it all happen. Proof was in the pudding when we had the subscribers. We've got a sustainable business now. And yeah, next next stop was naturally really to show other people how to do the same. And you've also written a book as well. So you've cemented mm. your expert status with a book as well. So you're now a published author and that did really well. That went straight to the top of the Amazon charts as well. So well yeah. done and congratulations on that Thank because that, that is a huge deal. and. So I'm guessing like lots of people still come to you via, you know, they find you via the book, via the business or word of mouth, because, you know, entrepreneurial space, it's very, very incestuous. Lots of people know <laughs> lots of people who know lots of people. And so it's it's grown from there. And I think what your story shows is tenacity, the importance of never giving up, even when you are faced with lots of different things in front of you that you could be sat there saying, well, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to throw the towel in and I'm just going to go out there and go and get myself a nine to five job. Was that ever, has that ever crossed your mind? No, never. Like it's absolutely, no. I'm completely unemployable. Like I can't even fathom the idea of working for someone else. It just wouldn't work for me. It just wouldn't, it, yeah, just no. Absolutely not. No. I love that. I think the fact that you know that as well and it's making it work for you, I think that's part of the beauty of your story. The fact that you are now a mum, you are expanding your business, you're continuing to grow, but you've found a way to do it in your own way. 
if you've been listening today and you've been inspired by Lauren's story, we will put all of her contact details in the show notes so that you can get in touch with her. If you're thinking about starting your own subscription box, you want to be bringing in a new revenue stream into your business, there will be details there where you can get going. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today on the Power of Storytelling podcast. It's been great to have you here with us. One final thing to say uh, to anyone still listening, if you are thinking about getting started with PR, don't forget that we've got a free quiz where you can find out how ready you are to get started with PR. It is at pr-quiz.com. And I can't wait to see how you get on because you get a report sent to you that will let you know how ready you are to get started with PR and being able to go out there and start telling your story. If, of course, you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to drop me a line, nicola at njrpr.com. I can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to rate and review and let us know how you found today's episode.